Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Good morning. As Brock said, he asked me a couple months back to speak on the topic of what is God saying to the church. I have to say that was a little intimidating. I think Francis Chan might have written a book with that title, but I think the last time anybody said that was John the Revelator. So um, I'm a little bit, I'm straying a little bit from his his admonition. What I'm going to do this morning is talk about something that's been on my heart pretty passionately, and I believe there's probably some translation for the entire church, some application. Um, there are a lot of things that I've thought through because they've been, they've been things that God's put on my heart for the last few years. Uh, one of those is the uh, importance of making and being disciples of Jesus rather than cultural Christians. It's been on my heart since I became a believer, but I think we need to go deeper in the idea of discipleship and not just being a cultural Christian. Another thing that's been on my heart and mind for the last few years is an emphasis on returning to supernatural living, like we saw in the book of Acts, where we live in expectation that the Holy Spirit will show up in power when we pray for the sick, when we pray for people who are oppressed of the enemy, and when we share the gospel with boldness with those who don't know Jesus. The early church relied on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. How much more do we need it today in a culture that is full of unbelief? But what I want to uh, focus on this morning is the admonition from the Apostle Paul that we don't allow ourselves to be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The temptation to be pulled away from the purity of the gospel is a real threat in our country today, really around the world, but it's it's, uh, particularly important that we pay attention to this in America. This is not new. And in fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians saying this, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So that was the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthians. This is not new. I believe we're in a critical time in our country. There are many compelling ideas competing for our hearts and minds. And these ideas come in a variety of forms. Some of these are in seemingly benign marketing messages with the intent of selling us a product, but they're embedded with a worldview that is contrary and oppositional to the gospel of Jesus. Yet because of their packaging and the constant bombardment in our culture, we can easily assimilate these things into our worldview. And so when I speak about worldview this morning, what I'm talking about is our perspective on how the world operates. It's our understanding of how the world came to be and is. Some of these ideas come in the form of theological ideas that sound new and liberating, I mean, the Christian publishing world is replete with books and blogs and social media 
and videos that promote every shade of theology. And some of these theologies may reference Scripture, but they may be repackaged forms of heresy that have drugged people away from the gospel for centuries. Some of these ideas take the form of sophisticated ideologies promoted by charismatic leaders who were able to play on our sympathies with the intent of completely restructuring our society. What Paul tells us is some of these ideas are rooted in human reasoning, and some of these are doctrines of demons with great power to seduce us and pull us away from the gospel and from Jesus. But they're so cleverly disguised that we can easily absorb them into our worldview. And here are some things that are startling. This is actually old, this is old research. It's, it's so much more um, actually sad if you look at the current research. But this is in 2017. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregations. That was in 2017. In 2017, 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors viewed porn on a regular basis in 2017. Those are some of the stats relating to the uh, use of pornography. But let's look at some of the stats relating to just the development of our worldview, our belief systems. A survey done by Barna Group, again in 2017, found that only 17% of Christians who attend church and take their faith seriously have a biblical worldview, 17%. Now, another study came out in the last year, and the survey revealed that 56% of Christians believe they have a biblical worldview. But out of those 56%, 6% actually have a Christian worldview. Now, here are some of the findings of that 2017 study. 61% of Christians agree with ideas rooted in the new spirituality, which holds... All people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they call that deity. Meaning and purpose come from becoming one with all there is. You may have heard people referring to God as the universe. Karma, if you do good, good will come back to you. If you do bad, bad will come back to you. So 61% of Christians in 2017 agreed with that form of spirituality. 54% resonated with postmodern views, such as, no one can know for sure, for sure the meaning of life. Right and wrong depends on each individual. And if your beliefs offend someone, they're wrong. 36% accepted ideas associated with Marxism, such as private property breeds greed and envy. Government should control the resources to make sure everyone gets their share. And if government leaves business alone, it will tend to do wrong. 29% of Christians believed ideas based on secularism, a belief that something has to be proven with science to be true, that a person's life is only valuable if society says it's valuable, and that meaning and purpose come from working hard to earn as much as you can to make the most out of life. Now, as I was thinking through this morning, a little phrase, a little slogan went through my mind, and you may remember this, go for the gusto. I did a little research that was the Schlitz ad in 1975. I probably haven't heard that since the late 70s, but yet it's still resonating through my mind. So through an ad, I was able to assimilate that for many years probably into my worldview. So what I want to do this morning is share three ways to keep from being taken captive by deceptive philosophies and ideas. First, 
you have to protect your mind. The opportunities to slime our minds with the most vile filth known to humankind is available with a few swipes of your thumb or a few strokes of a keyboard. I believe it's time for us as the church to take seriously the admonition in James 1.27 to keep from polluting our minds. Let's read this passage. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted from the world. The world has great capacity to pollute us. Now, when I think about this entire message this morning, I can't help but think of the three children that were up here this morning. You see the purity of their faces. You see the innocence of those kids. And to think of something like that being polluted, it makes you want to revolt. But I I want to remind us that the Lord sees us the same way. We're no less precious than those three little kids that stood up here this morning. He does not want us to be polluted by this world. The great commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We tend to be people that seem to, to live in dichotomies, and we like to divide and compartmentalize things. This is the whole package, and part of that is loving God with all of our mind. And if we're going to do that, we have to be very guarded with what we allow to come into our minds, the images, the, the text, and the audio. I saw recently a study of young people, and it, it showed that when you, from the time you go to school, from kindergarten to high school, you're exposed to 16,000 hours of school. That's the curriculum, that's the teachers, that's the peers you're exposed to. But the average student today from, from kindergarten through high school is exposed to 32,000 hours of media. That probably applies to us as adults as well. It is impossible to be exposed to 32,000 hours of media without it not having an effect on who you are as a person. For example, if we saturate our minds with violence, we will become violent or desensitized to violence. And I was, as I was thinking about that this morning, I remembered the Lord destroyed the earth in the flood because of the violence of man. If we expose our minds to inappropriate sexual images, we'll be prone to perversion. If we spend our idle time soaking in photoshopped images on social media, it will breed vanity, insecurity, narcissism, and voyeurism. Our minds are a gift of the Lord, and we have a great stewardship responsibility for protecting these gifts he has given us. Because we have some younger kids in here, I'm going to try to speak a little bit in generalities, but I remember as a, as a kid, I, I grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas, and in 1979, a really big tornado came through and devastated the town, so my neighborhood was in shambles. So one day, a friend and I, we were out just exploring. We would find all kinds of treasures that blew out of people's houses, and, um, and they would be in fields, and we stumbled upon a, a, a lot of inappropriate material in a box, and I remembered the thrill of finding that. And then I remember leafing through that and the feeling of my conscience being violated. So it was this, it was this, these competing ideas. My conscience was saying, don't do this, it is wrong. But yet the thrill and the adrenaline rush was intense. And it was compounded by the shame of being caught by parents. I remember that like it was yesterday. It took a lot of energy and effort took a tornado to find something like that. But today, 
in our pockets, often in our children's bedrooms, is access to the most vile sexuality and perversion known to the human race in just a few swipes of the finger. So we have an incredible obligation to protect our own minds, to protect our kids' minds. It is what God is calling us to do, I believe, so to protect our minds. Next, if we're going to avoid being taken captive, we need to evaluate every idea we're exposed to. We need to be like the church in Berea. Paul had traveled in his second missionary journey throughout Asia Minor. He had preached in Thessalonica with some resistance, some openness, but some resistance. And then he showed up in the town of Berea. And the scriptures say this. Let's go to that passage in Acts 17. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. If Paul had to have his message scrutinized by the scriptures, all of us need to be scrutinizing what we hear. What I say this morning, you need to go back and scrutinize it against the, the template of scripture. Brock would say the same thing. When I look back over the last 30 years of things I've shared publicly, sometimes I really regret the things I've said in immaturity, in exuberance, but we have to take every thought and run it against the, the uh, template of Scripture. Some of these ideas, I was, I was talking in the last point about, about immorality, and, um, but I'm talking now about theological ideas, philosophical ideas, and ideological ideas. These can range in seemingly benign ways as like a spiritual meme or a sophisticated political message. Now, again, I was thinking this morning, I was actually writing something out, and I thought, you know, this is a great passage. Good fences make good neighbors. And I thought, where is that in Proverbs? I looked it up. It's actually from a poem from Robert Frost. It's not in Scripture. And I thought, what a great illustration of how you can take something that's floating around in the public domain and assimilate it and actually think it's Scripture. There may be a verse that's similar, but that one quoted like that is not. These ideas come from television. We even use the word television anymore. Brock said, remember, this is not 1940. <laughs> um, they come from social media. They come from podcasts. They come from books, even Christian books. And sometimes they just pl- come from conversation with people that we love and um, hold in high esteem. But regardless of the source, we need to think critically about everything we hear in light of Scripture. An idea may sound very compelling, but it may have roots in the teachings of demons. So we have to evaluate everything. Now here's where the problem lies with us as Americans. For the last five or six decades, we have been brought up on entertainment that causes us or only uh, requires us to sit passively without evaluating what we hear. We no longer think critically as a people, but we let media personalities and pundits think for us. We're often led by our feelings and not our emotions. You know, even, even preparing this message, I had a little voice inside of me saying, yes, but you don't want to be stoic and all brain and, and be a talking head. But that's not the way the scriptures describe the complete believer. It's it's, it's the whole person. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the complete thing. C.S. Lewis said this, and I, I love this quote. God is looking for childlike hearts 
and grown-up minds. So childlike hearts and grown-up minds. You, you may have heard this saying, just do what your heart tells you to do. Well, if you decipher that scripturally, what your, the scriptures say that our hearts have the tendency to be very deceptive. And, and tip, if you want to translate that into more of a layman's terms or more of theological terms, is do what your heart tells you to do, is do what your flesh tells you to do, do what you feel like doing. But we're not told to do that. We're told to do what the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures tell us to do. And the Scriptures will never um, contradict um, the Holy Spirit and likewise. I, I was going to just share this as a Scripture. I'll tell you a dream I had a few weeks back, and it was a really powerful dream. And I, and I don't take every dream as a dream from the Lord, but I had this dream where I was in this underground cavern. It was dark, and there were castles everywhere. And somebody slipped something over my arm, and it was like a superpower. And I, I do not like the Marvel movies. I'm sorry to my daughter. I don't like the Marvel. I don't like superhero movies because they're just so fictional. I can't relate. But in this dream, somebody slipped this thing over my hand, and it was a large whip, probably from here to the back of the room, and it was a, a whip of light. And I thought, this is going to be so heavy to lift. And I lifted it up, and it was as light as a feather. And I could take it, and I could whip and destroy these castles. And in the dream, the scripture came to me, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. Let's look at what that says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strongholds in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The Lord has given us an incredible weapon in the Word of God. He has weaponized us, not weapons to be used against people, but to be used against all of these deceptive philosophies and ideas that are seeking to destroy our faith and lead us down the wrong path. So what do we do? We need to scrutinize everything we hear, even more so today than ever in history. We need to ask some hard questions. We need to be willing to ask people why they believe what they believe. And when people get asked, why do you believe that, they don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it when somebody says, why do you believe that? Because it seems like a personal challenge to me as a person. But we need to be willing to ask, why do you believe that? Because many of us don't even know why we believe what we believe, because we've heard it in a soundbite, and it sounds right. It doesn't mean that we have to be belligerent. It doesn't mean that we have to be rude. It doesn't mean we have to be proud. We don't have to be combative or controlling. But we do have the right to ask, where do those ideas come from? I believe that the church in America is extremely vulnerable when it comes to the idea of political ideologies. I think in some ways we've begun to let our politics inform our faith instead of let our understanding of Scripture inform our politics. And I don't want to get a a whole lot deeper into politics than that, but many of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his biography. He was a German pastor and theologian. After World War I, Germany laid in ruins. It was in shambles culturally, economically. They lost 1.7 million people in World War I in trench warfare. Their economy was in complete chaos. And there were two ideological forces competing for power and control in Germany. One was the Communist Party. They were inspired by the Bolshevik Revolution that had just taken place in Russia. And they saw Marxism as the solution to fix the problems in Germany. On the other side, you had ultranationalists who saw a return to traditional German values and culture as the answer to the problems in Germany. 
They wanted to see Germany great again as it was prior to World War I. Charismatic leader emerged, who you know as Adolf Hitler. He promised to return Germany to the world stage, return them to their previous glory, and restore the honor that they had lost in being crushed in World War I. Sadly, the church was swept up into this nationalistic fervor. The idea that they would be restored to glory, that traditional German values would once again be a part of their culture, played on their sympathies, and the church, in many respects, supported Adolf Hitler. Not everybody bought into the Nazi ideology. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian and a pastor, began to take the ideology of the Nazi party and lay it against the template of Scripture and realize that what Hitler was proposing was evil, it was not right, and people like Bonhoeffer opposed Hitler. So much that Bonhoeffer plotted to assassinate Hitler, the plot was foiled, he was um, taken to prison and executed for his plans. If we're going to avoid to be taken captive, we have to be like the Bereans and evaluate every idea. This is not an exotic option for us. We have to do this. You look around the world, countries are falling because of ideologies. I was just speaking to my friend in Ethiopia. We lived in Ethiopia prior to coming back to Oklahoma City for a while. That was one of the most peaceful countries in all of Africa. The African Union is housed there. The new president, who's an evangelical, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize last year. And that country is in utter chaos. And it is an ideological battle taking place. And if you talk to people on the ground there, first of all, they'll say what you're reading in the Western media is not at all what's happening there. But there is an ideological and a spiritual battle taking place. So this is not something for way out there. This applies to us in America today. So third, if we're going to avoid being taken captive, we need to saturate our minds with truth. Jesus himself said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sometimes Melissa and I talk about this. The Christian life doesn't have to be that complicated. Sometimes it just boils down to reading our Bibles, believing what we read, and applying it to our daily lives. 90% of the battle can be won by just, almost picked up my phone. I have a, a four-pound Bible that I was going to bring for effect and to impress Brock, but I don't think I have much time, so I don't want to waste it. Um, we have to stay in the Bible. It's not an option for us. We, we, we can't use the excuse where it's not interesting, I get lost, I don't know where to read. We, just, we don't have an excuse. If we're going to be believers that are going to survive and have an impact on our culture, we have to be people of the Word. I'm going to quote Smith Wigglesworth here. I wrote this in at the last minute, but I love this, this passage. Smith Wigglesworth, the British evangelist, said this, If I read a newspaper, I come out dirtier than I went in. If I read my Bible, I come out cleaner than when I, go, when I went in, and I like being clean. We've got to stay in our Bibles. Romans 12.2 points this out. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. 
We have to learn to discern God's will by staying in the Word of God. If we do this, we won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. I was telling the students at my school this last week, I said, you know, when, I think today we have, we have more sophisticated means to do this, but um, it used to be that FBI agents or people that work for the Treasury Department, if they wanted to identify a fake bill, they wouldn't study fake bills. They would take a $100 bill and they would study that bill day in and um, I can't get my cliches right, so I'm going to say they would study it frequently. Um, they would look at every little line of ink. They would look at the hidden symbols. They would look at the texture of the paper. They would look at the watermark. They would become so familiar with a $100 bill that when somebody presented a counterfeit, it was easily distinguished. That's what we have to do with Scripture. We become so familiar with the teachings of the Scriptures that when a counterfeit comes along, it's easy to discern it as false. I want to suggest a way. There are many ways to read the Bible. But when you're thinking about your, your worldview and how you interpret what's happening in our world today, read the Bible. And I would really recommend an easy-to-read Bible when you're, doing, when you're reading the Bible this way. And pick out the enduring principles that apply to different topics. When you're evaluating a leader, political leader, church leader, a leader, Apply this principle, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Simple principle. It's not the only principle you would apply, but that is a principle. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you're getting excited about a political movement or a, a politician, how about applying this principle from Scripture? We worship God and not man. It's very simple. We worship God and no man. When thinking about issues of immigration, which is it's not just an American issue. This is a worldwide issue right now. One of the principles of Scripture is that God cares for the poor and the alien. There are other Scriptures that would apply to immigration. So I'm not trying to um, promote a certain position. But the Scriptures are replete with principles that we can apply to the topics and the issues we have to deal with today. When thinking about government entitlements, I mean, this scripture comes to mind because I've read it so many times. Work with your hands so you have something to share with those who are in need. That's Ephesians 4. And there are other scriptures. Um, so I don't really know, I'm not promoting a, a policy or a, a position necessarily. But what I'm saying is we have to know the scriptures so we can decipher what's happening in our culture and not get swept up by groupthink. When you think that the world is out of control that people are going to be in office forever and, not, and never leave. Remember, God sets up leaders and he brings down leaders. Saddam Hussein was untouchable, and in one day he was gone. You looked at the Arab Spring, God sets people up, he brings them down. He can do whatever he wants in our country. There is an incredible battle taking place in our country. There's an incredible battle taking place in our lives individually, and there's an incredible battle taking place in the church, we have to renew our commitment to read the Bible. Now, last week I was walking out in the foyer there, and I saw um, some scripture cards that I think maybe um, Esther put together for kids, memory cards. I mean, that just it warmed my heart to see that. There's also a five-by-five-by-five five by five reading plan the Navigators put out. It's sitting out there. There are many ways to get into the scriptures. You know, I shared this story 
last time I preached. I just it's one of my favorite stories. Um, but when I became a believer in 88, 89 at OU, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And there were certain transferable concepts that they wanted us all to grasp and to apply. And one of those was to have a quiet time, to have a time with the Lord where you read the Bible and you pray. We talked about it all the time. You have to have your quiet time. You have to have your quiet time. And I believed everything I heard, and I believed you have to have a quiet time. So I started having a quiet time, and I started reading the Bible. And somebody said, you have to memorize the Bible. So I thought, okay, I'll start memorizing the Bible. And I took it for granted. I was so ready to leave darkness and walk in light that I I really followed um, the directions well. And one of the things I did was I started, I can't believe I did this. I memorized James 1, and I did it in the, the Living Bible. I had my grandmother's Bible. It's even bigger than the one I brought today. It was huge. She had um, cataracts, and it was like, you know, 80-point type. And, um, and I memorized it. Of course, some of my friends, I would quote it, and they said, is that the Bible? And we didn't know the word squirm was in the Bible. I said, yes, it's the Bible. And uh, so I went from James 1, and then I went to Ephesians 4, and then I went to Galatians 5, and I went to Romans 8. And I went to Romans 12, and I went to Psalm 103, and then I met with David Lightfoot. Some of you know David, and he went through John Piper's fighter verses with me. And then I went, um, somebody introduced me to the topical memory system, and I memorized those. And um, it's changed my life. It really has. Those, those passages of Scripture have changed who I am as a person. I refer to them every day. Now, I've, I've made the mistake of trying to memorize in various translations, even in other languages. And so often I misquote the passages of Scripture. Um, but the, the fact is I've been in the Bible, and it has saved my life so many times. I have seen the sick healed on the spot, boom, like that, with one laying on the hands and just a few words. I have seen demons cast out. I've seen and received some incredible, 100% accurate prophetic words, but there has been no replacement for the daily reading and meditation on the Word of God. Nothing. Melissa reminded me of this story last week. I love it. And I, I think this is true. Brock may be able to confirm this. Paul Kane, the, the prophetic man that many of us are familiar with, had gone to a conference and he was worn out by people saying, do you have a word for me? And this lady walked up at the end of the night and he was just worn slick. And she said, Mr. Kane, do you have a fresh word for me? He goes, here, lady, here's a whole book of them. And he handed her his Bible. And, of course, she walked away probably kind of crestfallen And a year later, he found her again, and her life was completely transformed because she took every one of those words from that Bible as a fresh word from the Lord and believed them. So you all have a prophetic word in your Bible for you. So you don't have to wait until somebody gives you one up here. It's wonderful when that happens, but you have a fresh prophetic word from the Lord. So there's a battle going on. In our hearts and minds, if we're not careful, careful, we will be taken captive. I've seen it. I've seen people fervent, on track, loving the Lord, and you fast forward 20 years later and something has happened. We have to fight this fight. We have to protect our minds, evaluate every idea, and saturate our minds with Scripture. Now, as we move into a ministry time, this morning as I was, as I was praying through this, I thought of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let me read that for you. This is from the New Living. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially this sin 
that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So as I've spoken this morning, I'm sure just knowing the stats that I've touched on some areas in probably all of our lives, everything that I preach this morning applies to me. That's why I'm so passionate about it, because the Lord's been pricking my heart with this for years. But I don't want people to walk away from this room this morning from feeling the shame that I felt as an 11- or 12-year-old kid when I got caught. There is something very valuable about coming forward and saying, I have gone off into areas I shouldn't have gone off in, and I, I want to be prayed for. I want to, I want to, the, the word is not coming clean, because if you are in Christ, you are clean. But there's something about being, um, you feel clean when you trust the word of God and you confess. There's something very powerful about that. And then some of you, you've shut off your intellect. You've bought into the idea that if you're wholehearted for Jesus, that it has to all be about the heart and the emotions. It has to be about the heart and emotions. It also has to be about the mind. It has to be about our bodies as well. So some of you may need to say, God, help me re-engage my mind in spiritual battle. And we want to pray for you this morning. So I'm going to turn this over to Brock. He's going to close this out, and uh, the ministry team can go ahead and come forward. Thank you, Al. Why don't we stand? We can get some more ministry team people up here if we can. Maybe you're new to the ministry team. Now's a good time to come up serve even if you weren't on the schedule. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it a whole lot. I appreciate that our church is full of people that are serving in the marketplace and the world. And for those that don't know Al, he's the head of school at OCS. So he is busy. He's got lots on his plate. And yet he took the time to come and, and bring the word. So I'm thankful for that. Um, I want to just add to uh, the other response. And that is, I think that the Lord wants some of us to repent for our overemphasis on the political. I'm actually going to be talking about that a little bit next week. So I want to add to that mix that if you sense, as I was speaking, or maybe the Lord's been searching your heart in recent weeks or months, and you have put too much hope and trust in Biden and Harris, you need to repent. If you have put too much hope and confidence in Donald Trump, Mike Pence, you fill in the blank, you need to repent today. And so in recent weeks and months, I have been repenting for getting too caught up in the swirl of the political. So I want to add that to the mix. And the Lord just meets us in grace and mercy in all these things, whether it's a secret sin or whether it's being too infatuated or attaching too much hope to a political person. Friends, there is joy and power and life in repentance. And so in the coming days, we are going to be a church that embraces and goes after God through repentance. And repentance means we turn from whatever it is that we've been letting spin a web around us. We turn from that and we turn to the Lord. So repentance is wonderful. It's life-giving. The scriptures teach it. 
from Genesis to Revelation. So I just, as a church, I think that we need to search our hearts this morning and meet the Lord. Amen. So we, uh, we have been ending at, at noon, and then we have a soft ending, as Colt uh, and Brad have, have called it. So we're going to do that. You're, you're free to go. We're dismissed. But I want to invite those that want to come up here and receive prayer or uh, even to come up here and just kneel before the Lord and do business with God. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and this week. And we're going to be lingering in the Lord's presence. And I encourage you to come up for one of these reasons, or maybe you need prayer for another area for breakthrough. You can come and meet the Lord up here. Have a great week.